In the age of Instagram and social sharing, brick-and-mortar businesses offer a unique advantage that even the biggest and best online platforms can't compete with. On Brick and Mortar Reborn, we talk with business owners and industry experts about what they're seeing work best for brick and mortar businesses who aren't just competing with their online counterparts, but thriving in spite of all the options that customers now have. We'll share exactly what you can do to set yourself up for success with an experience that wows your customers and keeps them coming back for more. And now our host, Bobby Maramat. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Brick and Mortar Reborn. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Brian Malkerson, SVP of Sales at Attentive. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, Bobby. Thank you. Great to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before we get started, um, if you don't mind giving me a little bit of, uh, you know, walking through a little bit of your bio and uh, telling us a little bit of Attentive as well. So my background before getting into sales, I actually had done management consulting and private equity for a while. And then about a decade ago, I transitioned over to working in kind of the startup and technology space, particularly on mobile. I was fortunate to join a company called Tap Commerce to run business development, which was a mobile app retargeting platform that Twitter acquired back in 2014. And then when a lot of that same team left Twitter and, and started Attentive back in late 2016, early 2017, you know, had the opportunity to come over and, and build out sales and partnerships from kind of the ground up and uh, sounded like a really good, interesting opportunity at the time. I was a little bit nervous about SMS as a channel, which is kind of ironic at this point, but you know, it was a great team and you know, I was excited to dive back into the mobile space. That's awesome. That's awesome. As you built up a, a attentive, uh, you know, t- talk to us about what was, uh, what was it like kind of building from the ground up? Yeah. I mean, obviously there's always challenges. I think as an early stage startup, I think in retrospect, things always seem obvious or certain things seem obvious or, or easy. I think for us, one of the things that a lot of people don't know about back then is that SMS, you know, people had done SMS before. We weren't the first company to, to do SMS marketing as a channel, but it had just kind of a, a negative connotation, I think, around with it. It was kind of limited to a handful, of, I'd say, of, of retailers, and there wasn't a lot of personalization. It was kind of limited. There was no kind of connecting the online and offline experience. And chatbots were kind of all the rage back then. So just getting kind of those initial conversations were really challenging. So the early days were just trying to go out and get as many of those proof points as possible. You know, once we were working with brands, like, and they saw the data and we saw the data, like that's what kind of kept us going. But, you know, those first nine to 12 months was, a, you know, was a real challenge. Brian, what's the typical uh, customer? Yeah. So typical customer for us, uh, I mean, we really focus on e-commerce retail. Uh, we also have a, a good size and quickly going food and beverage vertical as well. So we kind of separate between what we call kind of our enterprise and our strategic clients, which are the the larger retailers, and then our uh, kind of uh, direct-to-consumer, often, you know, e-commerce only, or at least e-commerce first, um, and maybe have been adding stores more recently. A lot of those are on e-commerce platforms like Shopify. Overall, we work with about 3,000 brands here in North America uh, with kind of a good mix between the two. I think uh, as kind of most of our listeners chime in here and, and listen in here, some of the segments that they're really involved in is really retail, food and beverage, entertainment, which seems to align with uh, some of the focus areas at Attentive. Tell us about you know the types of customers that, you know, basically in each of those segments and how they use, at a very high level, how, how they use your platform. Yeah. And it's interesting to say entertainment and, and media, that's actually a, a kind of our fastest growing newer vertical for us. And we're seeing, you know, I think right now from a timing perspective, where a lot of sporting events and, you know, museums, 
a lot of the more, as I say, some of the areas that were hit pretty hard during COVID are now really trying to come back and, and activate their, their audiences and, and find new audiences. So that's been probably one of our fastest growing segments. And, you know, on, on the food and beverage side, you know, we work with a lot of kind of like larger, uh, I'd say more traditional fast casual type of chains. So like a TGA Fridays and what we help them uh, one, try and engage with their consumers on more of a one-to-one level. And so we're trying to ultimately, you know, they may be driving some online sales and that could be directly on their site or through a partner, like a, a Postmates, for example, but a majority of it is driving them in store, right? And so what we're trying to do is both help them capture like that audience while they're in store to be able to bring them back or even capture them online and then drive them in store with a lot of messaging, but particularly in that space is tends to be very location-based. So we're able to discern the location, the general location of users when they opt in and when they engage with messages. So we can do very kind of targeted messaging and, and we know their time zone. So we can send messages to somebody, you know, like showing them like a hamburger, for example, like we were with Jack in the Box, you know, an hour before lunch in their given time zone and really kind of use those calls to action to, to drive them in store, right? When they're in their mind and when they're thinking about making that type of purchase decision. For e-commerce and retail, yeah, it can really vary. We're with a lot of different segments within that, you know, beauty, apparel, home goods, for example. And so it really depends on, on the type of store. And, you know, for some of the high consideration purchase items, it may be a very, like they may do a lot of browsing and research on their phone, and they may be more likely to transact in store or on their desktop. And so we'll have slightly different playbooks for, for how we work with those types of customers. And Brian, how is it typical, like if one of our listeners is listening and they, they say, hey, we want to make you know the plunge into SMS marketing, like how do they work with a company uh, like yours? The easiest thing is to come to our website. Uh, we have a lot of great content on there, you know, so kind of a rock star marketing team with a bunch of like great stuff that people are just looking to kind of learn and understand the space a little bit more. But we make it super easy to, to sign up for a demo. And so we're happy to, to jump on a quick call and walk anyone through just to educate them on the space, even you know, if it's now is not the right time to, to work with us. So they're looking at other options. And, you know, we also do a lot of events, you know, webinars, we have stuff online uh, where if people want to engage and have specific questions asked, but ultimately, yeah, we'll, we'll jump on a call with them, walk them through. And then we offer a completely free trial. Part of going back to those earlier days, when I mentioned no one wanted to talk about SMS. So we started doing things like saying, hey, like, the setup is super easy. We'll do all the setup, all the integrations at no cost. We'll offer a free trial to put our money where our mouth is. So we did all of these tactics to get people to try a new channel that they just didn't want to try initially. And it worked really well. And then so over time, we decided to, to continue that. And so our goal is 95% of, of brands that we were working with two or three years ago were doing SMS for the first time. And so we really built kind of a playbook to allow them to kind of crawl, walk, run to initially kind of test that SMS, do it in a compliant way, and then scale it to be, you know, on average about 18.5% of their online revenue. Okay, so if I'm a consumer and I walk into one of the stores that uses your service, what is there like a, you know, a sign saying, hey, text this number to, to get a special offer? Is that how it typically a consumer will interact with the platform? Yeah, it, it really depends. So for example, you know, if you walk into a store, or even starting like on the website, for example, a lot of consumers will start and, and do initial kind of research or browsing uh, on a website. We have what's called a two tap sign up. So if you come in on like your mobile device and you can actually tap it twice and it deep links right to your, your mobile device, which is a really kind of pretty neat, uh, smooth experience. And then we'll be able to start messaging them. And then we can even uh, do drip messages or stuff to like drive them into the store from, from that point. We also have a number of ways through social, Instagram, like their desktop at checkout. Once they come in the store, yeah, there's a variety of different ways. So you can do things like, for example, QR codes. And 
one of the things we've seen is obviously over the last 12 or 14 months when people have been trying to look at contactless and other types of options, particularly in retail. So QR codes where you can kind of scan that and then that'll kind of uh, can open up like a landing page or even open up the SMS application. So you can just send a message directly and opt in. Uh, we also have things like text to join. And so you can text to join particular keywords. So we then know either the context for them signing up or the store they signed up. For example, like Converse does that. And then we can also do it at checkout. So depending on what point of sale you have or, or how that's set up, we can also get phone numbers as part of uh, the point of sale experience. What are some of the you know, features that retailers look for when they're looking for you know, putting together a text messaging type strategy? So I, I think, look, for depending on if you're new to SMS or, or not, it's kind of the first thing that my team kind of looks for. I'd say about 40% plus, 50% plus now of, of the largest you know, retailers are, are doing SMS marketing. And so we've seen a huge shift, but we still have a lot of conversations with people that are doing it for the first time. If they're doing it for the first time, again, obviously we want to understand kind of what the, the goals are for that company in general, what they're doing for email and other parts of their marketing stack. We don't want this to be a siloed channel, but really kind of starting that crawl phase, which is you know, how do we grow a list? If you can't do something at scale and have high quality users, then no marketing channel is going to be very effective, right? I mean, you can have a, a channel for 100 people. And if you have a 1000 stores, like that's just not going to be worth your time. So we really want to be able to scale that list very quickly. And then we, we do all the compliance stuff around that because there is a lot of regulations in, in the SMS space. And then do kind of the, the welcome messages. How do we want to onboard them, teach them about the brand? What kind of experience do we want them to have? And how do, you know, how do we opt them in, right? Some brands are more open uh, to, to doing things like incentives or giveaways to get them to sign up. Other, other brands don't want to do that at all, right? So we have a bunch of different A-B testing or kind of playbooks that we kind of walk brands through. And we have a, a full kind of dedicated team, onboarding team and client strategy team that and designers that will do all of those signup units for the brands, help walk them through that entire process. Once they actually launch or for, for brands that already have an established program, a lot of it is testing and optimizing the different types of, of segmentation and messaging. So those can be triggered messages. Let's say you, um, you know, are looking at a particular product or abandoned cart type messaging, or it could be different types of segments or, or journeys based on that behavior. Or, you know, we integrate with other loyalty platforms or your ESP, your email service provider, for example, and we may be pulling in segmentation based on the type of subscriber or what they're doing in those other third party channels. And then lastly, I'd say there's a lot of cool kind of unique stuff to SMS around making it more conversational that we, we focus a lot on that I think kind of makes the, the channel relatively unique to some of the other channels like email that's out there. And how do you feel, how do you feel, uh, are, are consumers more comfortable now than I'd say a few years ago? Have consumers always been comfortable? How comfortable are they communicating with brands uh, via SMS? Yeah, it's a very popular question. You know, we, we did kind of, we commissioned our own survey about four years ago and just did another one this year of over 2000 consumers. And I think it was roughly 55% of consumers. And this is, I think, one of the things that surprises people. 55% of consumers are already getting text messages from brands with another 25% saying that they would be interested um, as long as, you know, if it's for the right brand. And that's the thing about SMS, a lot of people don't realize. Unlike email, you have to explicitly opt in. And so we're never signing people up just because they have a pre-check box or something at checkout or because they think they're signing up for something else, you need an explicit opt-in. And so, you know, the people that tend to sign up tend to be people that are really interested in learning more about your brand. It's almost why it like plays very well from like a loyalty perspective. And so, yeah, we've done that survey and seen that. We've also looked at things like opt-out rates. And so opt-out rates tend to be 
surprisingly as low and sometimes lower than email. So you may see a couple percent of people opt out in that first month, and then it's usually a fraction of a percent. The only times where we see it kind of deviate from that is if it's a high consideration purchase. Let's say you're buying a mattress and that's all the company sells. And after a while, you kind of go through your whole purchase for mattress. You're like, I just don't need to necessarily hear from them as much. If there isn't a reason to keep that consumer continuing to engage, you may see higher opt-out rates. But in general, we see extremely low opt-out rates. And we do a lot of stuff, things like smart sending and stuff like that. And where we'll, if somebody gets a message in one type of segment, or we know they're not engaging as much, then what we'll, we'll do is we'll, we'll do frequency capping and stuff to make sure it's a, a better consumer experience. How are retailers engaging their shoppers in store? I think you said, you know, via like location, they're able to tell when someone's close by. Is that how they're kind of maybe getting them to buy more when, when they're in store? Or how are the different engagement you know, tools to be able to get them to buy more or, 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 or learn about new products or, or engage with, uh, with new things that the brand is doing? So, and just to clarify when, and because this is a question that comes up a lot, I think a lot of times when people think of location in mobile, they think of like a mobile app, or if you're sharing your location, even though a lot of people don't, but if you are, you can get kind of more real time. And I think there's a lot location signals. And there was a number of companies at one point where it's like, you're walking by the store and you get like a message. And we can do that with things like mobile wallet. So we have solutions that do that. But for when it comes to SMS, it's not like a real time location. It's the last time you engaged. Our technology ties it to the most recent cell carrier. So you have kind of like that general location. And so that's really more around like, hey, we have a new store opening and we know that Brian lives within like five miles of this store. We're going to let him know about this new store opening. Or we just had this new product drop that came into this store. We're doing like an event as like another very popular use case um, to drive people to that store. Once they're in this store, yeah, there's a lot of really creative things that people do. So one of the brands we work with, uh, Kendra Scott, a jewelry company based in, in Texas, they had a pro- an issue back over the holidays where they would have these huge lines because so many people would be coming in trying to buy stuff. And they wanted to know how can we make that a better experience for the consumers and to turn that into to a way for them to better interact with those customers, not just in the store, but like going forward. And so uh, we created a QR code where they could actually and partnered with uh, one of their partners where they could take a, a, a customer survey and then also sign up for, for SMS at the same time and they could get real time feedback and then they could follow up with particular you know, new product drops or, or, or offerings that they were doing. So they were able to drive thousands of subscribers in a very short time period and engage those customers out. Otherwise, we'd just be sitting there in line like, you know, on, on somebody else's website. As you coach kind of companies to, to come onto the SMS train, if you will, like what what are some things that they have to do on their end? Uh, do they have to have like a content team? Do they have to like or do you guys help with with some of that stuff as well? Yeah. So we have a, a very large you know, 250 person plus client strategy team. And I mentioned like a, a very large design team and. We put together a lot of playbooks and examples. In fact, we have a website that our marketing put together called Text We Love, and you can actually filter it by the types of vertical and use case types. So that's a great place to go for thought starters. And then we do like a quarterly edition where we we send out different ideas and examples. Uh, but then the team itself often is is either writing that content or taking what there maybe the brand might be doing on social or email to start and helping them translate that content. But in general, it's just significantly easier for SMS because almost 100% of people read their texts. They read, you know, 80% is within five or 10 minutes. Brands are typically sending one, maybe two messages a week, unless it's a daily deal site or something else that is a reason to engage more on a weekly basis. And so it's not like email where it's this, this battle to get to the top of the inbox. You actually don't, you aren't trying to, to create nearly as much content. And so... A lot more of it is like driving good, fun engagement experiences, right? Like where we can set up or somebody 
responds, like Converse, for example, like you can respond uh, with certain keywords and they, they'll put this on their site or in store where if you want to get a certain collaboration updates, right? Or if you want to get, if they're doing a certain sale or just when you want to get the shoe drops that come immediately because they sell out right away. And so we'll work with the, the brands to set up what is the right content. And then we also work with a, a number of great partners on the agency and other front that are now specializing in SMS and, and often work with our partners. Makes a lot of sense. That's great. Definitely got to take your uh, platform for spin. I think that'll be, it's actually one of the areas that we, we hear a lot from uh, some of our listeners where, where they're trying to explore. So I think this will be very, very relevant. Brian, as we as we kind of uh, you know kind of go uh, go a little bit deeper to to learn a little bit more about the the buyer behavior, are there value drivers that you've seen change? Uh, you know, I'd say over the last few years, as far as how people purchase today. Yeah, and I was listening to your your previous podcast with Jared from Payless, and was nodding my head with a lot of the the things he was saying. And you know, I I think that's kind of the the million dollar question for a lot of people was first early last year was how do we quickly adopt to this environment? And a lot of kind of very quick changes to maybe uh, retailers who had to shut down, you know, distribution or stores themselves and unsure what that period looks like and how do you then shop to more of an e-commerce environment or maybe buy online, pick up in store and understanding like uh, how many of those things will kind of go back to more normal and what are the, those more kind of ingrained expectations or experiences. And I think from our standpoint, a lot of it is kind of like stuff that isn't necessarily general themes that aren't different than we'd expect to see. One, I think convenience. When people have spent a lot of time sitting at home, they're on their mobile devices, they kind of expect to be able to get information the way that they want, the timing that they want, right? So I think in the past where you had to go into a, a store or you had to call, get on a phone call to get information, uh, people want to be able to in- engage in the way that makes sense for them. I think we've seen even a greater push to things like personalization, People are just being inundated even more, particularly now when they sit at home and, you know, we've just seen a lot larger pickup as far as advertising and, and, and brands trying to, especially just explosion of these D2C brands, all trying to go after a little bit of each kind of retailer's uh, customer base, if you will. And so I think really kind of showing that personalization is something that people kind of expect, uh, especially when you're communicating with more digital channels and you don't have that kind of, you're not getting that face-to-face type of relationship uh, when you're not in the store. And then lastly, just on the loyalty side, which I touched on before, you know, we just see a lot of brands that had built really strong loyalty programs did relatively well when COVID hit because, you know, those consumers wanted to engage with that brand. If they had to shift where they needed to purchase or other aspects of it, those consumers were likely to kind of follow them. So we've seen even more kind of brands kind of really double down on, on, on loyalty. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think uh, there's an increased focus for sure. On loyalty and in, in, in connections, right? And nowadays, for sure, you know, you've probably seen a lot of great, great experiences during your time of uh, working with different brands. What's one of your favorite uh, in-location experiences that you've seen? It really depends. So I, I uh, <laughs> moved down to Florida during COVID. So one of those many New Yorkers that kind of came down to, to Florida, and so have been doing a lot of in-store experiences with the many for stores for, for the first time. And so it's definitely something that I pay close attention to. You know, I, I think there's a lot of the buy online, pick up in store stuff, I think has gotten a lot better. I think in the past, a lot of retailers were dabbling in it or doing some of it. And now you're kind of seeing it really kind of come to the forefront. Like there's certain store in-store experiences where I want to come in and I just want to browse around. And like, to be honest, when I go into Target, 
I just, I'm kind of like, okay, maybe there's something that I need, but I'm just kind of excited to be delighted as I kind of go through the aisle. There's other retail experiences where I'm like, I know exactly what I want. Like if I have to wait in a really long line and I can't find the item and I can't find an associate, like that's just not a good experience. And so when you can browse and you can research and do that online and then you can just kind of show up um, and grab the item. And yeah, maybe there's an opportunity too, where you can, at that point, when somebody is going to pick up online, you could send them a message like, hey, here's like a discount for coming in store because you want to increase that basket size or something like that, which I think are a lot of you know, really good opportunities for retailers to continue to engage consumers. As you think about the future of, uh, you know, brick and mortar uh, and, and kind of marketing and all that good stuff, what, what, is, what are some technologies that you, you think we're going to see here in the next few years pop up, you know, outside of, uh, of course, what we've seen kind of really accelerate during the pandemic? Are there technologies that you see that you think are really going to take off in the next few years? Yeah, I, I think what we're seeing a lot more of, and again, I think part of this was accelerated during the last year or so, but a lot more kind of like live commerce or, you know, we kind of see streaming and video, I think has been really interesting. We work with some partners like Chop LC, who are these sites that had almost started in on kind of the TV world and are now moving there. But then you just see a lot of these other brands that are doing that either on social or on their own site. And, you know, a lot of times, so when I was at Twitter, I covered Southeast Asia, like e-commerce mobile in Southeast Asia for a number of years. And a lot of like, when you look over there and see certain trends that have already much further along and kind of that adoption cycle, you can kind of see a little bit of the future of what, what could happen here. And I think that that's one area. I think another one is conversational commerce. You just, the ability to, you know, like when somebody goes into a, a store and particularly in retail, we have this conversation a lot with, with retailers, that store associate experience can be so strong and driving that loyalty and helping, you know, really drive that relationship with customers, particularly for, for certain retailers. And I think the ability to kind of tie that in, uh, particularly from a, not just in-store, but extend that outside of the store from a digital perspective, right? And I get that a lot. Like I went and we see it sometimes even just like right now, you even happen almost organically. Like I went to, there's a restoration hardware outlet near here and, you know, trying to, you know, see if we can find some good deals for, for the new place. And the associate there was like, hey, can I have your phone number? And started texting as new stuff comes in because they never know when they're going to get stuff in. And they built like a relationship and we've now gone back there like five times. And so I think enabling a lot more of that where people can even purchase, right? You see a lot more of that now where people can start making purchases via text or in some sort of conversational environment, as well as kind of that discovery. So I know there's a lot of interesting things going on there. It's an area we're focusing on a lot. And I, I see other channels and, and platforms doing that as well. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I think it's it's going to be one of those areas. I, th- I think that the two way, like in general terms, that two way communication between brands and, and and consumers, I feel like is really going to take off. And you, I think you hit it right on the head in the sense of like that level of personalization that consumers want to feel. They want to feel connected to brands that they shop with. Otherwise, you go to Walgreens to pick up your pills. It's more of that commodity sale. But you go to these other you know brands to be able to see those experiences and continue to have that conversation with the brand. So I think. It, Absolutely. Absolutely. A big area. 100%. I, I think the chatbots, I, I brought that up earlier, uh, were just a little bit too early. Like there's obviously there was this demand for that type of experience. I just think, you know, the right experience is you don't want to feel like when you know you're, t- you're talking to a bot or you get a response and then you don't hear for another 24 hours or 36 hours, right? Because that's not a good consumer experience. People expect almost that instantaneous type of response when they're messaging. And so the brands that can have maybe a, a blend where there is some maybe automation where you don't have to respond to every single message right away. But like 
you know when to insert either like a, a live person or some sort of better experience, I think is where we're really focused on. So super excited for, for the future of that. Brian, that's a wealth of information. Before I let you go, I was going to ask you what are some cool things to, that you would recommend doing in New York, but you said you went to, the, are you still in Florida? Yeah, I'm in Miami right now. Is that home? It is now. Uh, our, we're headquartered in New York, but you know we're kind of fully distributed now. And so, so I'll definitely be going back and forth. But as far as places to visit New York, I don't even know like where to start. Yeah, I, I don't know if you, it depends. If you like love great restaurants or like food, there's like some really cool. What I'm looking forward to, I should say, opening back up was there is this really uh, great show in the Lower East Side in Manhattan called Your Love, Our Musical. It's this, uh, it's a man and a woman who do improv, but can also sing. And they'll basically start off the show by asking people to shout out a word that describes their relationship. And then they'll pick a couple, they bring them on stage and they interview them for a half hour. And then they tell them to sit down and then they go right into a 40 minute musical about their relationship. That's like fascinating. And I only bring that up because it's not like, oh, go to Broadway. And I actually miss it so much. We actually brought it on as one of our events, like when we did our annual sales kickoff, just because to me, it's like vintage New York, right? These super creative, talented people just like doing stuff you've never really heard of. And then it's like, I don't know, kind of a unique experience. So I recommend people check that out when they when they come back. That's awesome, Brian. Thanks again for your time today. I know our listeners are really going to enjoy this. I appreciate you taking a few minutes out of your time today uh, to, to spend some, uh, some of your expertise with our, with our guests. Sounds good. Well, Bobby, thanks for having me. And, and maybe uh, maybe there's a partnership opportunity in the future. I like getting on those TVs with maybe some uh, SMS. Absolutely. I, I was actually thinking the same as we're talking through things. Yeah, I got I got to formulate what's in my head. But absolutely, I think there is because we get we get, uh, you know, a lot of ask from from uh, from our customers on how can we tie things in to have more conversations with our consumers and then, you know, tie that into more of a personal personalized experience in store. So I definitely think there's something definitely there. Love it. Thanks, Brian. Have a good day. Great. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Brick and Mortar Reborn. To find the resources mentioned in this show and detailed show notes, head over to brickandmortarreborn.com.